Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist, and I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 76 for October 8th, 2021. In this podcast, we have Venue's Jared Karamouche to join in the discussion on endpoint protection and more. Enjoy. You are here with... Eric Malatesta, Michael Faisley, and William Sellers. However, we have another special guest with us today. We have Jared Karamouche. Am I pronouncing that right? It's, uh, Karamouche. That's Karamouche. Pretty, pretty good attempt. Yeah. With, with us today, Jared is um, Jared works in our network infrastructure team and is quickly becoming or is. Uh, an expert in cybersecurity. So we thought we'd have um, kind of an interesting episode today about um, about this. But before we get into things, Jared, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what is your role here specifically at Venue, and and how long you've been with us, and so on and so forth. Sure. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been with Venue for uh, almost three years now. Um, the network security team kind of took me under their wing, taught me from the ground up, um, and I've become really interested in learning more about uh, network segmentation, uh, network uh, just protecting, uh, you know, uh, enterprise networks uh, at a segmentation level and a uh, next generation firewall level and learning a lot about endpoint protection and how it's uh, pretty necessary in the uh, world that we live in today. Nice. Yeah, sure. I think I think that's something that's growing. Oh, it, it's it's unfortunately it's growing. I mean, it's something that we hear about in the news. It seems every day. Uh, it's nothing new, right? We, we've been dealing with cyber cyber crime and really for a very long time. However, before it was really cyber crime, it was more of cyber annoyance, right? Um, you know, if we start looking at kind of the the history of of, of viruses or trojans or um, which I guess a trojan is technically a virus, but we start looking at you know. The early days of, of bugs, right? And where does the word virus come from, right? And I think the word virus, uh, came in, in really the late 1940s, not related to computers per se, but actually in the biology realm, uh, where someone developed a theory of a self-replicating bug that would get someone sick, right? And this same, this same kind of thought, uh, rolled into, you know, fast forward 30 years, this rolled into what people were seeing in some of the very early uh, viruses that infected uh, computers in the early 70s, right? So we had, you know, the first kind of virus, quote unquote, virus that was discovered was in 1971, which was actually attacking uh, deck alphas or the deck computer line, right? This is very old. Probably Eric and myself are the only people to hear yeah. that know about uh, yeah. de decks and deck alphas and, and this types of stuff. But it well, was I thought Windows 95 was the first computer. That's not a. Uh, that's not accurate. <laughs> no, yeah, you might be. You might be off for by. Uh you know, half a century or so. <laughs> I'll, I'll do some research into that. Yeah, but the first the first real virus was one called the Creeper, right? And, and this really, it was, it was a self-replicating piece of software. But the only thing it did was 
post up a, a message on a person's terminal or, or computer screen that said something like, I'm the creeper, catch me if you can. And that was it. It didn't yeah. delete data. It wasn't, it was an annoyance and it could be detrimental to, to businesses and things like this when, um, you know, when it, when it, when it hit, but it really didn't cause problems. It was an annoyance. And then fast forward, um, you know, another 10 years or so, we had viruses, right? Or, or, or bad software that actually would cause problems, right? So like in the 1980s, we had um, the virus, the first virus uh, was, I think it was called, I forgot what it was actually called, but it was basically one that uh, would infect uh, computer systems and was transmitted by a floppy disk, right? So people who were sharing software, copying, um, copying, um, you know. That's a good history question for you, Jared. Do you know what a floppy disk <laughs> is? Well, uh, what is it? There's two sizes. There's five and a quarter, and there's three. Oh, okay. Not that's bad for that's a all right. We'll, we'll yeah. take yeah. We'll take that. That's that's okay. And um, the five and a quarter was actually floppy. That's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, there was actually yeah. an eight inch. Uh, I think it was an eight inch floppy that was bigger, but, but they anyway. had a nine, they had an eight and a ten. That yeah. ten inch as well. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking about a ten inch. The mainframes. Yep. Yep. But anyway, so the, even in the eighties, the early eighties, these viruses, um, they were, they were bad and they caused people to lose data, data deletion, data loss, or, or more so they would cause inoperability of a person's computer, whether that's a network computer or your home desktop, right? You would maybe back in the day, let's say, you know, when we were kids, oh, I want to copy a Doom or Duke Nukem or, you know, whatever. And what do you do, right? You, you get a buddy who's got it, you get a copy of it. And then as this goes from computer to computer, somebody puts in some code that starts causing problems, right? And most of the time it was either would just lock up your computer, cause some kind of, you know, thing that you can fix, right? You would just rebuild or something. Or it, in the worst case scenario, it would delete your data, right? Right. So more commonly, I think you're correct with that, William. Uh, more commonly, you would see it where it would basically trap your your desktop and you'd have the the blue screen of death is what we call it in the, in the modern world. But you know, it's just a, a locked screen. Yeah. And so it's an annoyance, right? And so maybe it affected, maybe it caused a memory drain on your DOS operating system or your Linux operating system uh, or, or your basic windows from the old days. But yeah, it was basically just an annoyance. Right. But in the, there early- was also a, a time when you shared more software that way. And there wasn't sure. all of these security measures like built into software that you had on these floppy disks to where mm-hmm. you could share them more easily. So it's probably so, a lot easier to slip in things like that. Oh yeah. So, absolutely. The, so the, the interesting piece about that is, so to solve this problem, the, the, the industry got smart, right? So when they created the three and a half inch floppy, it was a hard disk. It had a hard plastic case on it and it had a little tab and you could take the tab and make the disk read only, right? So you wouldn't be allowed to write to it, right? So that was the way they were thinking, well, we can stop people from infecting these disks by making them read only. And, and, and what we would do to get around that. So like if we had an old program <laughs> that we had bought, we would just put a piece of tape over that. Scotch tape you, works you, great. You get around it. And then you could write to that disk again, but uh, that was what that was what they were thinking back then. Right? Hey, we can help solve this transmission of of bad data by just making the disk unreadable. I'm sorry, unwritable. Yeah. So, yeah. And then in the early '90s, 
we we had the first real case of it, you know, turning in from an annoyance or a bit of a pain in the um, in the USB port to um, ransomware, right? And I think it was in like the late, either the late '80s or maybe into the early '90s. We had a, a virus uh, called AIDS Trojan, which was the PC Cyborg virus that actually. Uh, would encrypt a piece of customer data, you know, I say customer, user data, right? And then uh, ask for ransom for that. Now, they weren't doing Bitcoin at the time or anything like that, but they were asking, you know, hey, we want X amount of dollars and uh, we can give you an encryption key back. And you can get yeah, your data and back. It was, it was actually done um, to a P.O. box. Yeah. 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 When that happened, which is, which is pretty funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're definitely see, we, we definitely have had ransomware around, not, no, not as much. And I mean, when I was a kid growing up and, you know, the, 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 the 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we, we, I never had a problem with ransomware. You didn't hear about it a lot, but, uh, it was one of those things that could happen. And of course, that made people start thinking about things like backups and, you know, hey, okay, what do we do? And then things kind of got a little better, maybe, because we started to think about things like, um, you know, especially when computers become became networked, right? Uh, became really important to have things like firewalls and firewall security that, uh, you know, gave us a magnitude more inc- more protection from getting viruses, right? You still had certain ways to get them, but it, with network security, it's kind of like that first step. And then also, of course, uh, you know, antivirus programs became a thing, right? Yeah, they began yeah. mid nineties. That became a thing. I can remember, that, you know, running around campus and saying, "Hey, I got to deploy." At the time, I was working for Louisiana State University, you know, and I had to say, "Hey, I got to come out to your laptop and deploy some type of uh, so- software." with which to scan your, your laptop. And every day it powers on, we're asking to scan your laptop and blah, blah, blah. Because back in those days, we actually used to power off your, your computer every every evening and shut it down. And in the morning, you'd come in and power it on, and we would set it to, to, to do a basic scan every morning. And, and that was a big thing. I, I spent a, a good portion of, you know, a few months just deploying antivirus. And and it was either McAfee or, or Norton, which were the two big ones back mm-hmm. in the old days, right? And 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 we did it across campus with all the PCs, which had just become a thing. We we moved away from green terminals and, and orange terminals to PCs, and so that had become a thing. And so, yeah, we deployed antiviruses all through the mid mid nineties throughout the campus. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, so we we've been living with this type of cyber security type problem for for. You know, ever since I think really the first days of computers, right? Um, but as we move into you know the modern day, and, and you know, I definitely, Eric, I I feel your pain having to go manage. I managed a couple of computer labs at LSU and Baton Rouge, and then even way back when I was at LSU in Eunice, uh, managing um, some of the library computer labs, and it was literally a full time job to make sure that there was not a virus running on the machines. It really wasn't. We weren't really concerned with ransomware because that still really wasn't a big thing at that time. It was more, you know, if you got a virus, it can infect your lab and then bring down your lab, right? So it was it was an annoyance or it could cost you money because you can't, you know, provide the service that you were wanting to provide. But, um, you know, very shortly after that, ransomware became something that it just became more and more prevalent because... <laughs> 
nobody had a solution for it. I mean, a lot of times you would get this ransomware and people needed the data back, so they started paying ransom to get their data back, hopefully, and that became, that actually grew a, I'm not going to say a business, but it grew a, a lucrative kind of model for people to... Oh, it's- it's definitely a business that that yeah, is. And, and I think I think something of importance here is in the in the early '90s, the the honor amongst thieves kind of attitude that was taken with these guys that were doing ransomware. They would actually give them the key to unlock it. So then there became this understood uh, idea in the world that hey, they actually do pay it. They do unlock our stuff if we pay them. So then it became kind of common practice to say, well, I'll just pay them, yeah. right? And, and that honor amongst thieves actually helped drive their own business. Yeah, but I mean, it it's, you know, it evolved even past that. Um, you know, now organizations, um, I would say, they they've been paying, while other organizations have said, "Well, I don't want to pay this, so I'm going to keep really good backups." And <laughs> right. the, the attackers carrying out these ransomware campaigns have have you know realized that. Oh well, crap! They're not going to pay me the uh, the ransom because obviously they have good backups. So instead, I'm I'm going to threaten them with releasing their data, right? Um, sure. You sure. Know, so it's 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 interesting how it's evolved over time. Uh, you know how they're they're uh, kind of reacting to what the industry is doing from a security perspective, and you know, still trying to make this, this a business. And, and unfortunately it's, it's a really huge business and that's, that's why they do it. Um, I mean, you do have your, your hacktivists out there and things like that, but that's, that's not the, the big driving force for ransomware. The big driving force for ransomware is money. Absolutely. And, and, and here's the thing, the, the, in the old days, you know, you would see, we, we, I mean, I heard people say, you know, well, I'm so small, no one cares about me. They're not gonna. They're not gonna try to take my data, but nowadays they actually don't care. The, 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 they don't care how big or small you are, and they, and and sometimes they're actually even smarter to say, I'm not even gonna ask for a lot of money. I'm not gonna ask for five hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna ask for five thousand dollars, right? Because yeah. I, I I stand the chance of them paying me for that, right? Yeah. And I don't care. I don't care if you're a a, a one man shop or a one million person shop i'm just going to put my software out there and and try to encrypt you and then ask for some money well and the more and the, and as successful as they have been you know it keeps us in the background struggling to say okay how do we how do we fight this and how do we keep up with it that's a good point eric so, and i think that's you know that's that's the world that that jared has come into you know uh in the last three years and has really excelled for us and and helped us grow and learn as well yeah from right. not only not only do we teach him which we i mean i'm not responsible for any of that but he's also taught us right he's yeah. he's he's come back and shown us a lot of things that you know hey this is the kind of thing that's going on in the world that i can show you guys that i'm learning as well yeah one thing i wanted to interject eric and i, I totally agree with everything you've said but what i've also seen is you know, when you said something, um, you know, they don't, they don't attack, they don't, they don't go to attack the small people. And I would say that's true, but a lot of times ransomware software will go out to a blanket amount of people. So even if they're not targeting you, you still may get ransomware. And then once you're infected, the ransomware application will, will call home and say, Hey, um, you know, uh, here's this computer I've I've got control of, and I've encrypted the data. You know how much do you how much do you want the ransom to be? And the person will go, oh, I've got somebody. I want the ransom to be a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, right? 
Right. So, well, so I think I think what I was saying was in the old days that's what we we, we didn't worry about it. But yeah. nowadays the software just doesn't care. It, it'll it'll get anyone, and it'll ask for a quote unquote reasonable amount of money so that the person's more likely to pay it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think I think something that also needs to be addressed that kind of gets lost in the shuffle is the the inconvenience cost. If you're gonna measure, you know, what it's going to cost to pay the ransom or the time it takes you to restore from backups. People are kind of, you know, those, those, those people that are saying, well, you know, that'll never happen to me or, you know, I don't have anything really worth, you know, worth their trouble. Your device gets locked. It's going to cost you time and money to fix it or purchase new equipment. It's going to be an extreme inconvenience to you that could have been avoided, um, you know, by taking certain measures. Sure, and I think to, to follow to, to take that point even farther. Not only is this an inconvenience to you, but it could be uh, a business stopping uh, incident, right? So, yeah. so if it if it encrypts my accounting system, then my accounting stops. And how how do I how do I pay my employees? And how do I take in uh, a check from a, a a vendor of some kind, right? So, so yes, your point is very is is, is very well made. Is that the, the inconvenience that these things drive actually are larger costs than what the actual uh, ransom is, and which is why sometimes they just pay it. I can pay that mm-hmm. ransom. I'm up in five minutes. I'm back working, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think I think I think the world is really trying to work to solve or minimize some of these problems. And I don't think they'll all of us solve it, but they're trying to minimize a lot of these problems. And we've talked about this in some of our other podcasts when we're talking about having 2FA and we're having virus scanning softwares and we're having firewalls and networking and all these other things that we've talked about in previous podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. And taken to another point is here today, we're looking at kind of the endpoint solution is how do we actually protect the actual end user at their own desktop, which also, by the way, protects our entire environment. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad you you kind of circled us back there. We we went off on a little bit of a ransomware tangent, but but in the end today we're we're here to talk about the endpoint protection. And you know, you you guys, you know, gave gave a good primer on the history. Um so, you know, in 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 the early to mid 90s, you started having those those antivirus programs come out, but how how did they work? Right? How how did they function? Um, and all of those were were signature based AVs, right? Um, whether whether it was Norton or McAfee or Symantec or you know all the big name players back then, um, they were all uh, you know signature based AV products out there, and and they they did a great job, right? It's and it's to be not, clear, what, what, and to be clear, what you mean by a signature anyway is just basically a pattern. So we know if we know that word perfect has a pattern of zeros and ones that should match a certain zero and one, and someone's injected a different set of patterns in there, all you have to do is look for that new set of patterns. That's what you yeah, mean by a signature. Yeah, they, I mean, they're they're basically looking at, at specific file attributes that, that are right. associated with it, right? It's um, and, and for a long time, these, these uh, products worked really great. Um, and and it's not to say that they are useless today, but they've lost a lot of their sense of purpose um, because attackers have have wised up, right? They're they've gotten really good at outsmarting these, uh, you know, si- signature based uh, antivirus measures, 
and and even now today you have things that are that are fileless attacks right where where the attackers are um, basically living off the land they exploit something on the machine and then they're carrying out attacks from from powershell right mm-hmm. <laughs> from from command line um and you know those are those are things that signature based AVs can't do anything about um you know so this product had to evolve or, or this endpoint uh, protection had to evolve. And, and, you know, where has that, that led us? Well, it went from this signature based AV approach to, you know, coming out with these, these next gen AV um, uh, solutions, right. Which were, you know, as, as the name would imply that, that kind of next step, um, but also, you know, still having some some limitations, right? Now, um, there there's certainly one could argue a little bit better than than the um, signature based AVs out there, but um, they don't do any cross correlation uh, but between endpoints, right? So it's a it's a single endpoint at a time looking at at this data and uh, without having a bigger picture across multiple endpoints, you know, especially if you have a very large organization like an enterprise or campus environment where you may have thousands or tens of thousands of endpoints, um, you know, it, it, it's not giving you that, that complete picture. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something you're saying here kind of makes me think, you know, a lot of things that happen these days. So, so the the perpetrator gets into this one machine, and on that one machine is just Eric Malatesta's laptop, and there's nothing on there, right? Yeah, I just run Word, I run Excel, I don't have any company data. So what they do instead is they say, well, let me just probe the network from Eric's machine, right? Let me see what's out there. And they don't really see anything of significance, but they just say, well, let me just spread myself because the farther I spread myself, the farther I can look. So they just start spreading themselves, and, and there's nothing – there's no signature going on here. They haven't changed a file. They haven't if they haven't written down to say encrypt anything. They haven't taken a, um, a, a, a Excel an Excel executable and changed that. All they've done is say, "Hey, I'm putting my software out there to which I can then go scan the next level." And so they're spreading themselves, looking and investigating the network. They may lay quote unquote dormant looking around sure. for six months, right? You have no yeah. you have no idea because because they're not doing anything that an antivirus would pick up. And I think that's kind of where you're going with all that, right? Yeah. But also and things so like the, denial of service attacks can be like run from there where you're not infecting any of the sure. customer data, but you're like pounding a network, you know, off site somewhere from from an infected computer. Or even and internally Eric, that that sorry, uh that type of um, you know reconnaissance, you know, lay and wait uh, gathering approach that you're talking about. That's that's usually known as an advanced persistent threat, right? Um, and those, I mean, like you said, they they can take months, right, um, before they've either exfiltrated what they've needed or. Um, maybe that they just have a particular date in mind to actually launch the attack. All the while they're they're learning, um, 
I think that's a great point about that date. You, you and, and I've heard you say this before. You know, hey, we have a holiday coming up this weekend, yeah. and what happens on holidays, right? Well, we all we all go on vacation. We all yeah. leave our our office. We all go to a remote. We go to the mountains. We go to our lake house. We go to camping. We go to our grandma's house. We do whatever we do, but we're not sitting in front of our computer anymore. So now the the perpetrator knows I have more of a chance to affect more people quickly here without them being able to address me. And so they'll wait till that date happens. It's Memorial Day. We're all out barbecuing hamburgers and boom, they start pounding. Yeah. And to go back to the the next gen AV, uh, one of the other big kind of glaring weaknesses with them is they they are focused on preventing the attack, much much like the the signature based uh, antiviruses were before them. They're focused on prevention. Well, we we know with you know how um, attackers have evolved that no security solution today is foolproof right no firewall that you get ids ips you know what whatever you deploy to protect your network it's it's not going to be 100 percent foolproof and things may get in it's one of the reasons why we talk about you know uh security and layers but that um that focus on Prevention. Well, what do you do after, right? And that's that's where uh, that's where EDR came in, right? Uh, that's that's kind of the next the next step past um, NGAVs, and and it's it's really more about protecting the system. Um, so the NGAV and the legacy or signature based AVs were all focused on. Uh, prevention, um, but EDR focuses more on that um, that protection of the system itself. Yeah, it wants to. It's learning heuristically how the system is being used, and when it sees things that are out of the ordinary uh, that can be deemed as malicious, it's either going to warn you about it or it's going to bring it to your attention and say, "Hey." You know, this this is we we believe this to be suspicious. This this warrants, you know, somebody looking at this and making sure that this is valid. And I mean, with the exchange attacks and some of the recent attacks that have been, um, you know, popularized in the the news and media of these zero day attacks against exchange servers. And I and I I don't know if the pipeline one was. uh, was a zero day event, but, uh, with the exchange server, you know, most likely your, your legacy AV wouldn't have caught that being that it was a zero day. And, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of information on it when, attackers really started leveraging it I'm sure uh, and, and they actually didn't here's the thing about those co- things they didn't actually ch- edit code they changed configurations of web servers right so they they took existing uh, services that you're running and just said hey I just want to allow a little bit different type things to run through this service so that, so the actual code on the bottom it wasn't Changed, so there's no, there's no signature that would have changed, right? So that would not have ever been caught by an antivirus. Yeah, and Jared, I'm glad you brought up the the zero days because 
really regardless of the solution you have, it's not going to prevent the zero day from occurring because they're exploiting some some vulnerability. But what an EDR solution will do is it will protect from the subsequent attack, right? So the attacker will exploit whatever vulnerability is. And when they go to carry out whatever attack they're trying to do, whether it's deploy ransomware or, you know, do whatever nefarious activity they're they're trying to do then that will be stopped right right? so you're you're protecting your systems um you know until you have a chance to go through and and patch whatever that vulnerability was that that you know may have let may have let the attackers get into the system and maybe in some cases you actually prevent it because if you're if you have enough edr running and you have it in such a tight mode that whenever it sees anything that hasn't been approved by administrator it just flags it and stops it right yeah. so it says yeah. i see this code running this is not marked as safe period and then it stops it right it, and and there's pluses and minuses to that right so the plus is hey you know are we stay fairly safe uh in our environment but like they used to say in the old days the only safe computers are a system that's not connected to anything right so so that's not really usable like that so the the adverse effect is having an employee that's trying to do something and every time they run it, it's getting blocked. They don't understand why it's getting blocked. And then it could be two, three, four days before they resolve the issue with their IT staff. So that's the negative side of that. So there's a game that we play on how much we allow to run and how much we allow to be blocked. Yeah. So really, so really we're moving away from, and, and we still have pieces of software whether it's antivirus or EDR, that still uses signatures, right, for historical type of, of virus um, heuristics. Sure. But, you know, we're changing into where the, the, the these um, advanced AV software or EDR is actually looking at the processor. So a lot of times what, happen, what happens when a virus starts, right? It'll, it'll, it'll run in the, first of all, the processor will run it. The processor will say, hey, yes, write this data to disk. And then that's where all the problems start, right? Uh, if it's in RAM or CPU, that's, that's not great, but it's, we really start worrying when it starts writing stuff to disk, right? Or infecting the actual bits on the, on the file system. Um, and I, what I've seen, and guys correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these EDR softwares, they're really actually working more directly with the, the CPU processor and saying, Hey, um, you know, let me know if anything looks squirrely before you even let this write to disk. And that's really the power I feel that, that things like next gen antivirus and EDR really bring to the table. It's like, it's almost like a vaccine, right? You may get exposed to a, a virus, but it won't actually write to disk. It won't be able to replicate itself and then spread it to other people. It actually, it actually stops it at kind of the, the, the brain of the computer instead of actually letting it infect anywhere else. And then, like Eric was saying, if it notices something squirrely going on, it'll raise a red flag, send an email to an administrator saying, hey, I think this this is a problem. I'm going to quarantine it. I'm going to quarantine not only the software, but the actual running process in the CPU and RAM to keep from spreading, right? Yeah, and I mean, some solutions today, they, they kind of take a best-of-both-worlds approach in that they, they take they have a next-gen AV component, which focuses on the prevention, but they have a EDR component that focuses on the on the protection piece. Yeah. So for most of what comes through, the, the next-gen AV can probably prevent it, but if something does get past it, 
you you know you you have a, a failsafe basically yeah. where will like you said um it's looking at uh you know processes that are trying to communicate with the kernel and saying eh, no this this violates one of my rules this is you know something that that attackers usually try to do i'm i'm going to stop this and then it'll give the administrators a chance to go in and look at it and say oh, no actually this is fine and you know you can write an exception for it to allow it um i will say one downside of edr solutions uh, there's there's a lot of tuning that goes into them. Like, like, <laughs> yes. yeah, like Eric mentioned earlier, you know, you can you can really restrict it, um, but it it can cause some productivity issues, right? So what you really want to do is have it run in the environment to get a baseline for for what is you know normal, and then you can go in and when you're letting it run, you you'll most likely let it run in kind of a simulation state, right? Yeah. Where it's seeing events, but it's letting them through. And then you can write exceptions. And once you feel comfortable that you've written exceptions for everything that that is, um, you know, required for the business, then you go and, you know, hit that magic button to, to block everything else forward. Um, one kind of last really great thing about EDR solutions is is their threat hunting capability. So earlier I was mentioning one of the knocks on next gen AVs was you're looking, you know, kind of with horse blinders on at at a single um, endpoint, right? You're not seeing a, a, a holistic vision of the network. Um, with a lot of EDR solutions, you can. Uh, threat hunt across your entire organization, right? So if you uh, are interested in some file name or hash, say there's there's been a new zero day, right? Um, that that's come out, and you're reading about this in the news, and um, you know, or or your your favorite you know tech blog or, or whatever it may be, and they've listed out a bunch of, um, you know hashes or file names that you can look at within your network, EDR solutions give you a really nice and quick way of doing that, right? So everywhere where your solution is deployed, you can go in and say, all right, I want to look for this hash or this file name to see if it's actually present. So it gives you a quick and easy way to, to be able to determine that, um, which is nice. And I mean, some get really, really advanced. You know, you can... You can look for any time there's been, you know, a, a, a file write, um, file read, open socket. They, they get very, very advanced. But at a baseline, the, the threat hunting, um, you know, can can be used for just looking at, at file names and hashes, which is which is pretty valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, honestly, it's always I mean, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. It's like, are we ever going to have a fix for this right and i think it's it's always going to be a cat and mouse game with you know the good guys and the bad guys right we're always going to have well that that goes all the way back to putting the tape over the floppy disk yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so what we need is we need a global network of machine learning and ai computers that are only looking for viruses in ways and we could give it full autonomy to every facet of of our computing life and then we can call it skynet nothing will this will be our protector right 
Nothing bad can happen out of this. Okay, that was a joke. Nothing. That was a joke. Nothing bad. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. And, well, then we, we'll, we passed the time, I think, when that was supposed to happen, uh, yeah. according to the movie. Yeah, we, yeah. I think good. we did, yeah. yeah. So and just to good. be safe, we'll, we'll, we'll make the, the CEO of that, that company be named Sarah Connor. <laughs> well, it wasn't Sarah Connor. I, you know, that's a funny thing. I don't know who the CEO of... It was a uh, Cyberdyne Industries, right? So it wasn't. Um, I don't think we ever knew who the CEO was. We knew was it Miles Dyson was the actual engineer who came out with the new processor, but I don't know who the CEO was. And well, I know, that's, I, I know that's I'm really I getting said, into a rabbit hole now, but that's why I said to be safe. Oh, so okay. It won't happen again. We'll we'll put Sarah Connor in charge. Ah, there we go. <clears throat> she's like our. She's the best firewall we got. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, you know, when we talk about the future, I think we were kind of talking about that, you know, XDR or extended detection and response. I think that's just building off really of, of the things we've talked about, right? Getting better machine learning, better ways, um, of having, you know, having the processor and CPU actually aware of what's going on and then being able to either shunt that off to quarantine or, 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 or letting applications run. So one thing that that XTR does, um, you know, all, all of the things that we talked about previously, they are endpoint centric. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about the the signature based AVs or or next gen AVs or EDR, it's it it's all about the endpoint. And yeah. what XDR is, and and its kind of selling point, if you will, is it's taking. Um, information from outside of the endpoint and incorporating that in. That's where that extended piece is in, in the extended detection and response. So it's it's incorporating the the, the firewall. Uh, maybe you have some type of sandbox or something like that, um, and it's it's just trying to um, create a more information rich um, environment to to be able to to correlate data. Yeah. So one one question I have, guys, and we've been talking a lot on this podcast, this, this episode, a lot about you know your your desktop, your laptop, your server. But when we talk about endpoints, right? Endpoints don't just mean desktop, laptop, server. It could mean you know your 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 mobile phone. It could be your home router that is in. Um, that is in your, your home or your home NAS. And I've been seeing, at least in these consumer grade devices, actually now are starting to get a, become aware of that. I know my NAS server actually has software that runs on it for antivirus. Uh, my router is aware of, um, you know, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, and also virus detection, right? So if someone tries to execute code on my router, it'll quarantine it or clean it up. Yeah. I mean, historically, that's been a big uh, blind spot for endpoint protection is is mobile devices, right? Whether it's tablets or smartwatches or whatever it may be, um, you know, you'll you'll talk to somebody about endpoint protection. And they're like, great, I have you know five hundred you know tablets that I need protected. And it's like, oh, all right, that's that's you know not really what these these are for. They're they're going to cover your your workstations and your your servers, but you're right. That is that is something that um, that that's quickly 
becoming a lot more popular. And that that is in large part to the uh, expansion of of the Internet of Things. Right. Like you said. What's that, Jared? No, I was just going to say, you know, the phones and and the rise of BYOD environment where, you know, Eric was talking about. You people would come in every day, shut down their computer at night, and they would just use their their same stationary computer in their office to do their job every day. We work in an environment now where everybody has a cell phone. Uh, most most enterprise environments offer uh, issue company laptops. Uh, you have users bringing their own laptops into work, which are really hard to secure. Um, you know, from an IT perspective, when you have so many devices coming and going that you don't fully control yourself. As well as, as so many flavors, right? So you have, as we know, Windows and Macintosh, but how many versions of Windows and Macintosh do we have, much less the entire Linux suite, right? So which Macintosh yeah. built off the Linux suite. But <clears throat> so that, that's, a, that's a problem for the IT world is how do we uh, address all these and then throw into it iOS 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 yeah. <laughs> versions, right? Um, <clears throat> and then I don't even know how many versions of, of the other phones there are, but there's hundreds, right? So it becomes a very difficult process to, to hunt these things out and, out and and protect them. And I think what we saw, it was kind of popular about five or six years ago where you would get these – messages in the IT world and they would talk be talking about your Bluetooth on your cell phone. So disable your Bluetooth on your cell phone if you are not using it disabled because people were probing around you and seeing that you had Bluetooth. Well Bluetooth is actually a very unsecure protocol, right? It's just an on or off kind of thing. And so people were able to to, to leap onto your phone and so from there what did they have access to? Right. Or maybe it was your watch. Maybe they got onto your watch and they from their your watch, they got to your your phone. And then once they were on your phone, they got to your because they plugged you. You plug your phone into your laptop later to back it up. and Boom, they're on your laptop. Yep. So, yeah. So, that, so, so it's a great point you made, Jared. I mean, these things are we, we've spread from that simple world I worked at in the early 90s where everything was just centralized. You, you, you know, you were on the network kind of, but you were, you were on and off every day. This is, this is a world where we don't turn our phones off at night. I mean, yeah. one of you guys tell me if y'all tell you your turn phone off at night. We don't. No yeah. one does. Well, also think about it, you know, when we start looking at things like even, you know, medical equipment is becoming smarter and more, you know, connected. Uh, cars. I mean, cars now, I, 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 I cringe at the thought of, you know, me getting in my car, which is a smart car, and I get ransomware and it pops up saying, if you don't pay the ransom, we're going to run you into this, uh, you know, run you off the cliff type of thing. And I'm like, oh, at that point in time, I'm going to move to, I'm going to move to the desert or something. <laughs> I'm going to move like, what I find I, interesting I give up. about this, what I find interesting about this is this this concept has been around for forty years, and, I, and and here's here's how we know. So, so in the late '70s there was a show. It was called Battlestar Galactica, and, and the, the show actually the whole premise of the show was there was these people out in space traveling somewhere, and all that part was irrelevant to this. But the only way they could stay safe was that they had computers on their on their spaceship that none of them talked to each other. Because that was the only way you could stay safe from the cyborgs, which were the, the robots that had intelligence, right? So C- these C- robots – Cylons, Eric. Cylons. And they could get into the ship via those computers. So they, they basically had no computer that could talk to any other computer. And 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 so this concept of protecting end, end workstations has been around for years and years and years. And, and we are just getting to the point where 
we as a society realize, oh, that's actually important. Yeah. Yep. Well, cool. Good yep. conversation. Yeah, I think this was a really kind of fun podcast. I mean, fun and also, you know, informative and yet a little bit, you know, worrisome. But and this is the world <laughs> we live in these days, you know, right? The best thing, the best thing I will say, and, and, and uh, use strong passwords, keep your, keep your technology patched. And make sure you have MFA. some type of yeah two two FA, FA exactly. I think you have a tattoo that says two FA or die on your on your right, Faisley. And well, uh, we've done we've done yeah. passwords we've done a passwordless um, podcast that people should go back and listen to if they have not already. Yeah. Um, you know, so so easy. We've been covering these top subjects for a while, but it's, it was the first time we had a chance to bring Jared in and his insight. You know, he's been doing this for three years for us, and so he gets to see a lot of stuff that you know William and I don't tech. We don't get to see every day. Yeah, we like to have different perspectives on the podcast, so that's why we like having you know our fellow venue employees or or you know anyone really who wants to participate. Um, you know, talk to sure. us. Yeah, so if you're going to get hacked, you might as well make it as hard for the hacker as possible. You know, you don't want to you don't want to make their job easy. That's a good point. Right. You know, and I think we, we addressed this at one point, but ninety percent of all attacks are are looking for the easy door. If yep. they don't yep. hit the easy door, they move on. Right? Yeah. So the hackers great. are are inherently lazy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, I'm not trying to make fun of them, but they they're. They're inherently lazy, and it it is, it's almost like water. It's it's the path of least resistance. Like, oh, this is this is open. Oh, look at this person. I just scanned them, and they're listening on all these ports. Perfect. I I have an attack for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, again, it's also and we've said this in a podcast before. It's a layered approach. You know, have mm-hmm. have your network secure. Have your password secure. Have your Computer, whether it's a server, desktops, or phone, or NAS, have it secure, right? Run time some type of uh, antivirus or endpoint protection software on your devices if you can. Well, you should. It's not if you can. You should. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that's not really negotiable. Um, <laughs> everybody should be running some some type of endpoint protection. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think this will wrap it up for um, this podcast. Uh, let's see. It's October 8th, 2021. Uh, podcast number 76. I think this has been a really good one. Some housekeeping. Um, you can find us on, uh, number one, our website at venue.com slash podcasts with an S. Uh, you can also find a link on that site uh, with a button that you can click and actually interact with with us. So if you want to tell us, you know, good job, bad job, or maybe I'd like to be on the podcast or I would like you to talk about this subject, uh, reach out to us. It, it goes to myself, Eric, and uh, and Michael, and we can um, we can we can entertain you know questions and things like this. You can find us also on the iTunes Store, uh, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio. So we're um, we're on all those platforms, and then obviously you could send us email uh, the old-fashioned way at podcast at venue.com. So awesome. that should wrap it up today. Thanks, guys, for participating. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Jared, for coming on and, and, and uh, giving, you, giving us your perspective. We really enjoy Thanks, it. Thanks, Jared. Oh, yeah, no we problem. appreciate it, Jared. It was fun. And have Take a care, great everybody. weekend. Yeah, absolutely.